that was a fun time. Come to Sunday school if you can. We'll get, we're getting into some more good stuff today. I'm going to take you into the book of Exodus. And if you want to look at the screen or turn there in your Bible, this is the chapter right here. We're going to look at not only are we looking in the book of Exodus where God is about to deliver the Israelites from over 400 years of bondage in Egypt, but also God is setting up the, uh, the Passover feast slash the, uh, the feast of unleavened bread. And one of these days, uh, I make you a promise, uh, we don't have to keep the feast. We're not inclined to do that. We don't have to do that. We're not compelled to do it. But it is something fun to do. And you can learn a little bit about what that was like and, and what things they did as they kept the feast of the Passover and unleavened bread. Because I'm telling you, this right here is the centerpiece of, uh, of, of being Jewish. And really, it's a prototype to Christianity. And we're going to get into that here in just a minute. Now, we're going to read. This is a little bit of extensive reading. But I want to uh, read this with you as we go through the word together. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying... This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. Listen, that's very important. It shall be the first month of the year to you. That's very important. You wouldn't believe that that's important. That's very important. And it's a prototype to Christianity. Speak ye into all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. That's extremely important. A male of the first year. That's very important. You shall take it out from the sheep. That's very important. Or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it. Now listen to this. On the two sides of the posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head, with his legs, and with the uh, pertinence thereof, thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. Verse 11, And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it. In haste, it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn, that's important, in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods, listen at that, and against all the gods, little g, of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, 
I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we come to you, God. And we ask your blessings on the sermon today. It is what you gave for me to preach, Lord, so help me to do this with understanding and enlightenment. Lord, give us revelation knowledge as we walk through the Word together. Help us to understand it. To not only understand it with our ears and our mind, but apply it to our heart and our life. Let us understand the meaning of the Passover and the meaning of the unleavened bread. Let us see what you were doing and how it points to us in this day. And God, we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. This night was a special night. I want to take us back in time as sometimes I say that and I want to do that with you. As a congregation. Let's just pretend we're back. Many thousands of years ago. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Before even Christ came along. Back in the days of Moses. Let's pretend we're there. Let's look at this bondage situation. Let's tour the land of Egypt at that time. As a third party would look upon it. As if you're looking at the television screen and we're flying across the land and we're able to look deeply within the situation of Egypt at that time and the situation of the Jewish people at that time. They were in bondage for over 400 years. What kind of bondage? Bitter, as they say. Bitter even unto death kind of bondage. The kind of bondage where you're in slavery kind of bondage to where your life mattered not kind of bondage a kind of bondage that left people being whipped by evil laden taskmasters that drove them to perform the deeds of pharaoh who who egypt proclaimed was a god if you were pharaoh you were considered a god now egypt was laden with many gods isis The God of fertility. And and Baal was a part of this. The bull. Interestingly enough, the bull was was something that they went back to when God delivered them. As a side note, when Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments, God seen that the people had departed from from the ways of God and made unto themselves an image of this bull, Baal. Baal was a God to the people back then. He was the God of prosperity. He was the God of money. He was the God that they would pray pray to that would bring rain and fertility to the ground. He was also a portion of fertility. And then came Ishtar later on, who was the goddess or Isis, the goddess of fertility. And they acted in one union. And it's by no coincidence today that in New New York, right by the New York Stock Exchange, Beyond anybody's belief, Baal has showed up yet again, and we call it the bull market. The bull market of prosperity. Baal has shown up yet again. Baal leads people from God. Baal causes people to turn from from God and look to the, the gods of prosperity and money and enrichment. We're there. But as we're flying around and we're looking into this situation, we see these people being led into torturous labor. And God had had enough. It was done. It was time to bring deliverance to the people. It was time to 
free these people from the bondage that they were in. It was time to sacrifice a lamb if you're following me where I'm going with this. At this point in time, these people were in this bitter bondage, a prison cell of slavery. It's a prototype situation where many types and shadows can be looked at comparing the situation to being freed by the Lord Jesus today. Sin is a prison cell that keeps you incarcerated within it, belonging to the devil. While in sin, you're a slave to the master of sin, who's the devil himself. People will tell you this day that, uh, that are not saved, that they're not a slave to anybody, that they're free to do whatever they want to do. I'm the master of myself. They don't understand that they've been duped into believing that, while yet the devil plays them like a puppet to do his will. And acting out in the things of the devil, they live their lives in drunkenness and in drug abuse and in pornography. And in all kinds of lascivious living and sinful desire. They say they're free, but they don't know that they live in a prison. I was once that person. And I didn't know what freedom meant until I met Jesus Christ. And the blood of the Lamb was applied to my life. You don't know how incarcerated you are. Until you experience freedom for the first time. You don't understand you were born in it. You don't know no better. You just lived it. You inherited it. You've seen your parents in it and you lived it. And the next thing you know, you don't understand. You're just like an animal living in a kennel. Freedom's outside of that. And you don't know how good it is because you've never been there. You've never done that. And that's one trick of the devil. At this particular time in history, they've been in bondage for all these years. It's time for us to be free. It's time for the bondage to be over. God has sent a man, one greater than Moses. He's the son of the living God and freedom is in his hands. It's the keys to eternal life that this lamb has got. Not just from a land or from a place or from a people, but for eternal life. Let's look at the text. In God's very first statement to to Moses, he's explaining that this is going to be such a significant event. It's going to be the start of a brand new year. Your calendar is going to change. This is so significant. This is such an event that time is going to stop for you and start over. This signifies to the being born again, the beginning again, the starting over of a human life. My life never began until Jesus Christ came into it, folks. My life never began. I started all over again. I don't care what my birthday is as a natural man. I started all over again when Christ made His abode in my heart. And this is what God was pointing to. Your calendar's going to change. Your life's going to change. This is such a significant event in all of history. We're starting all over again. You're not going to keep this pagan calendar you've been living in. I'm starting you over again. It's such a significant event. The new year would start with the month of the year of their redemption from Egypt. Your life began when you were redeemed. That's when true life began, folks. And if you've never been redeemed, you don't know what you're missing. It's a whole new beginning. It's a whole new you. It's a whole new chance. It's a whole new start. It's a whole clean slate. God says to us in this day and this time that He will not remember against us anything that we had done in that past life never to be remembered against you anymore. Thank God for that. 
Thank God for the, for the forgiveness that comes from God and the forgetfulness that God, God has to the sinful man. He don't remember that again. You might remember that. People might remember that. Try to hold it against you. But God don't remember that. He treats you just like He's treating these, Egypt, or these Israeli people right here. He's starting them over again. It's going to be a time that all things is going to begin again. Just like being born again, Revelation 21.5 says, He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. That's what He was doing. And that's what He does in our lives as He makes all things brand new. I love the song. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. You ever heard that? Man, I love it that I was made brand new. That I started all over again. Each family was to have a lamb. When you're looking at this, we, we learn, learn through the reading of the Word that the lamb was to live with the people for several days leading up to its being sacrificed. Why would God want that? God wanted this lamb... Uh, the time of the Lamb to be accomplished and He wanted it to be a part of the family. So it would be something that would be mourned. It would be something that would be missed. It would be a sacrifice. Jesus came and lived amongst us and we rejected Him. But yet He was crucified, the Lamb of God. Only after the sacrifice, at the time of the sacrifice, after it happened, we see that people mourned this Jesus. Even on the road to Emmaus. The disciples mourned the fact that their Savior was gone, the one who was going to redeem Israel. This symbolizes the precious Lamb of God without spot or blemish, the man Jesus Christ who lived among us, who was slain for the sin that we live. The sin that was ours was laid upon Him, and now we live because of His sacrifice. This is all pointing to us. This is all pointing to us. The application of the blood. This provided a clear distinction between the people of God and the people of Egypt. Do you understand that there is a clean, clear distinction between the saved and the unsaved? The Bible says the mark of God is upon us. The blood of Christ is within us. It's within our heart. We've been blessed. We've been saved. We've been redeemed by the blood. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. The blood of Christ is the key to our redemption. This provided this distinction between the Egyptian people and the Israeli people. Could you imagine? God said, if you apply the blood, the death angel will pass over you. I want you to think about this for a minute. This actually happened in Egyptian past. Imagine if you were there that night. Imagine the feeling, the emotion, what was in the air, so to speak. You closed the door and you sacrificed the lamb and you took, God instructed you to take the lamb, the lamb's blood that you had consumed. You got to take it in. You got to take in Jesus. Jesus said, I am meat indeed. And those that drink my blood and eat my flesh, he says, not being cannibalistic, but spiritually speaking, you take him in. Could you imagine taking the hyssop? And taking the blood and dipping it and, and painting the doorposts above your house, above your dwelling place where you were living. And that night, you could hear the cries of the people as the firstborn were dying across the land. 
The firstborn, not only of just men, but animals and everything, was dying around you. Could you imagine the feeling of that? As you're sitting in there and you're singing hymns within the sanctuary of your little place that you were living, and the only thing that was going to save you, you couldn't do anything about it. Your hands couldn't save you. If this angel did not see the blood, your your firstborn was dead. And if you were firstborn, you were dead. Imagine that. People say, why the firstborn? Well, in Exodus, I believe it's in chapter 4, God said He wanted His firstborn child, who is Israel, to be released. And if you don't release my firstborn child, basically what He's saying is, I'm going to take yours. Israel was God's firstborn. And if the blood wasn't applied, you died. Imagine that. These Egyptians, we talked about God overcoming there. He was going to execute judgment on the gods of Egypt. They found out real quick like that Pharaoh was not a god. They found out real quick like that their gods, their demon gods that they prayed to was subject to God Almighty. They found out real quick that there's there's nothing that they can do that can control the power of God. That they are subject to it. That's the purpose of this. That we are subject to the power of God. No matter who you think you are or what title you possess in this world, you are subject to the death angel, to the power of God, if the blood is not applied. Remember that. You can't save yourself. And after something happens, there's nothing that can be done to brought you back. You can't pray to the, to the idol god Molech who the children was sacrificed to. You can't pray to the, to the, the bronze bull Baal and, and pray that he would bring your children. You couldn't pray to Isis and bring your children. You couldn't pray to Zeus in the Greek and bring your children back because them pagan gods are subject to the power of Jehovah God. They are demon gods. And they're not gods at all. Imagine living at the time of the Passover. The death angel. The application of the blood. Recognizable to God. To the angel. The death angel. There's something about the blood of God. The blood of Jesus. I can only imagine what that night must have been like. Their gods could not protect them. Let me just stop right here for a second and just tell you this folks. No matter what the world chooses to believe. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Your beliefs, as strong as you believe in them, outside of Christianity, cannot save you. No matter what, it cannot save you. Salvation comes through one and one only, and His name is Jesus the Christ. Mashiach, Yahshua is His name. He is the only one that can save you, that can stop the death angel. My last breath here is going to be my first breath there. Death will not hold me. The grave will not hold me. It was defeated by Jesus. And the keys of death, hell, and the grave was taken from the devil and taken by the Lord. And and He took captivity uh, captive, the Scripture says, and it shall not hold you who believe. It is subject to Jesus, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. They were commanded to eat the flesh of the lamb, which denotes the fact that the the carnal flesh is nourishment to us 
But faith in the Lamb of God is nourishment to the inner man. I want you to understand something. You are a multiple part person. You're not only flesh, so quit thinking that way all the time with your flesh. The more important part of you is the spirit part of you. Think that way. Because it's eternal. This body's going to fail. It's going to die. It's going to go to the grave. So quit emphasizing it and emphasize the spirit that's within you. Cultivate it. Nourish it. In the Word of God, nourish it in prayer. Look to it to lead the flesh. Let it lead you, not the flesh. Deplete it. My uncle who was in the liberation, I brought this up in the liberation of Nazi death camps. I believe it was Dachau. And he said he smelled the stench of rotten bodies for miles before coming into that camp. Me and Grover was talking last night and they were a different breed of people back then. Boy, they were tough. They were tough people back then. And I thank God that at a time like that, we had people that lived on this ridge who were tough people that went over there and fought for you and me. Because it took a tough human being to accomplish it. My uncle was no different. He lived in southeast Ohio in a third world country type setting and lived by the sweat of his brow. And he said, I'll never forget seeing those people over there. He goes, they were skin and bones. And we said, when I mean skin and bones, he goes, I mean you could see their bones in every part of their body. They did not look human. And if you fed them anything, if they took in any kind of nourishment, they'd fall over dead because it was just like shock to their body. He said, we were cautioned not to feed them even though we wanted to because they were going to have to be treated to come back to a, a, a state where they could be nourished correctly. And I can't help but to think what the Spirit looks like in some people who don't nourish it. Is it our spirit that walks around looking like it just come out of Auschwitz? Starving for the Word of God. Starving for a moment of prayer. Starving for a drop of the blood of Jesus Christ to inundate it. Starving to death while the flesh is abundant and fat and willing and, and ready and, and got all these uh, uh, adornances on, it, on itself and we, we make a great life for ourselves. But what is the spirit like within is it rotten and decaying and almost dead? Oh, I hope not. Is that what God sees in me? Lord, help me. Give me a desire to read the Word because the flesh is so strong. My spirit is weak, but the, but the flesh wants to overcome it. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was typical of the Christian life. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. Having received the Lord Jesus, we must keep a feast in holy joy, continually delighting ourselves in Christ Jesus. Spiritually speaking, no, matter, no manner of work must be done because works can't save us. We talked about that. They were commanded not to work during the Feast of Unleavened Bread during this Passover feast. Why? Because works isn't associated with this. God did it. 
God did it for all of us. He made it so easy. You just got to believe. That's it. He made, he done everything. It must be a feast of unleavened bread. The unleavened bread represents the, the sin of yeast. There was to be none found in any house during this ceremony because it represented sin. Unleavened, meaning a life without sin. So we have to keep ourselves without sin. We must strive to do that. Even though it's impossible for a human being to do, we got to strive to make sure that we're constantly looking within the home of our soul for sin. And then get rid of it. Get rid of it out of your life. No matter what it is. Get rid of it. Without, leaven, without the leaven of malice and insincerity. Without the leaven of hypocrisy. We have to get rid of it. The law was very strict to the Passover. And the Jews in their usages of it. The old leaven of sin must be put far from us. It was an ordinance that was to be kept forever. One of these days, we're going to have the feast of the Passover and the unleavened bread. And you're going to live it one time. Who in here has ever done it? Good. You're going to live it one time. Because that points directly at you. We don't have to do it. It's not required that we do it. But it is a good thing to do. Because it immediately takes you to the point. And I'm telling you the reverence of it. It is a very reverent thing. It is a very reverent thing when you do this feast. It's the epicenter of Jewish belief. That God is everything. We don't have to keep it. Understand my speech. But when you eat the bitter herbs, and you eat it, Prepared and ready with your, your cloak tucked in. Your staff in your hand. Your shoes on your feet. You eat it in haste because it's the Lord's Passover. You want to make sure it's, it's done quick, quickly. That you're ready quickly. For at any moment the death angel could appear. You do it quickly and you'd be ready to move. Quickly. And you eat the bitter herbs. Just like Jesus said, let this cup pass from me, Father, if it's your will that, that I drink it, so be it. But Lord, I've let this cup pass. It was bitter. Sin is bitter bondage. Taking in the Lamb reminds us of taking in Jesus. It is a very reverent thing. A very reverent thing. I'm going to read through it one more time. In the NLT. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses from now on. This will be the first month of the year for you. We're starting all over again. Just like when we get saved. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb. Listen folks, that's you being evangelistic. Tell people they have to choose the Lamb. The people have to have the Lamb of God in their house. In their heart. You are the building, the, the house. Not made by man's hands, but by the hands of God. You are the temple. Get the Lamb. Have it in your home. 
Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If Jesus is enough for your house, you don't need two. You need one. Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much meat they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects, without blemish. Jesus was without blemish. If you ever hear these stories, and I told the people in Sunday school, if you ever hear these stories where Jesus was having a fling with Mary Magdalene, that would negate Jesus as being flawless and would disqualify Him from being your Savior. That's why that's out there. It's of the devil. They are to take some sort, uh, they are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they are to eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled. The scripture says we are not to eat raw meat. That's what the scripture says in the dietary law of the Jews. Don't eat raw meat. Don't eat the blood. That's what it says. Not that we have to keep the dietary law. I understand my speech. But that's why God told them that. At that point in time, they were not allowed to eat blood. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Not that they had to eat the internals, but it had to be roasted. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before the morning. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency for it is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and every firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the house where you are staying. When I see the blood... I will pass over you. I ask you this question. Is the blood of the Lamb visible in your heart today? Stand with me. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread Oh, I love that Passover. I'm seeing on the news young people dropping over dead. 